0: Welcome to the Niche Podcast for Friday, November 16th, 2012. I'm Jonathan Stark. And I'm Kelly Shaver. And we're here to talk about building apps that run everywhere. This week, using Data Mapper with CodeIgniter, pros and cons of CSS grids and bootstrap, icon font resources for responsive web design, and tips for using cores with REST APIs. Please stay tuned. The Niche Podcast is next. Hello.
1: Hello.
0: How are we doing today?
1: Uh, not bad. Trying to keep my office, office from getting destroyed.
0: Have <laughs> uh, Hurricane force winds there? Or?
1: I, no, the cats had way too much caffeine.
0: <laughs> oh. Ah, I see. Now, well, now that they've legalized catnip, I think you can uh, <laughs> calm <laughs> yeah. him down.
1: Yeah. You no, know, he, he loves coffee. So if I have a cup of coffee without a lid on it. It's it's his.
0: <laughs> you have got to be kidding me. No. <laughs> That's a dev cat.
1: Yeah, yeah. He um he loves coffee.
0: That is something else. Well, uh, yeah. So is he hanging from the light fixture upside down?
1: Uh no. Last I heard him, he was it was ricocheting off the walls in the hallway. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so, dear listener, if you hear a crash, background. yes, it's just the cat. <laughs> exactly. Oh, let's see here. What day is it? This is
1: I think it's Thursday.
0: Thursday, November 15th. Of course, uh, welcome you
1: know, welcome back to our country.
0: <laughs> thank you. <laughs> Glad to be back. Erica was like, "How long did it take you to get back?" When I got here, and I I I gave up trying to calculate how long it took because there's so many time zone changes and Yeah. I couldn't even figure out what time I left. Because yeah. <laughs> I mean, I know the I know the I left the hotel at 5:30 a.m. But, and then I was like, well, wait a second. What is that? What time is oh, that? Like here?
1: 11 p.m. here or.
0: Yeah. I don't know. The day before. Yeah. Right. Is the day before. Is the day after. Do I, I'm like, oh, it only took me two hours to get to the U S from Croatia. <laughs> Felt like more. Yeah. So yeah, I went to visit, uh, our friends at infinum in Croatia. Yes. It was, uh, it was super cool actually.
1: Looked
0: like you were having a good time from the from the photos I saw. Yeah, um, those. Let me tell you. Or at
1: th- least having a good meal.
0: <laughs> yeah, lots of them. Those guys eat like it's it, like it's the Last Supper. <laughs> it's it's re, it's really. I mean, it's a it's a, a a source of constant conversation. Oh really? Yeah. Like so. So um, I went to lunch the first day with uh, Josip. And he takes us to this pizza place, right? So, oh, you know. Right. And he was trying to, you know, you're looking at the thing, the menu, and it's, I'm like, oh, I'll get the, I'll just get the margarita pizza. But in your, it's got a price in Kuna, which is the currency there, and it's, it's that's a, um, it's a tough transit. It's tough to tell how much U.S. money it is for pizza, so I couldn't judge the size of the pizza by the price. Right. You know, usually if you see a pizza and it costs like $5, it's like a single serving size. So I'm like, oh, is, you know, should we each get a pizza or are we going to share one? And he goes, oh, yeah. you know, we should each get one. So uh, <laughs> I was like, okay. And, you know, you can already see where this is going. Yeah. They bring over the pizza and I swear to God, it's like a Domino's large. <laughs> I mean, it was like 20 inches diameter.
1: And this is lunch. <laughs> yeah. Right, you each got one, yeah.
0: Yeah, so you could barely fit all three pizzas on the table we're at, and uh, some like laughing, and uh, you know, I eat like a quarter of it.
1: Yeah, like two slices,
0: and you know. Yeah, yeah. He ate the whole thing. <laughs> oh My goodness. And I had and the and I had a, uh, I had a you know just tomato and cheese and crust right. So he's yeah. got he's got obviously crust and tomatoes and cheese, and then he had like a pound of of. Of like Canadian bacon across the top of it, and a an entire fried egg, and uh, sausage. So I I took a picture of it. It was it was yeah. too much. It was too um, much.
1: In in my head, he sat down and ate this entire large pizza, and he probably weighs like 180 pounds wet.
0: Exactly. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Totally not fair.
0: Right. Yeah. And so we go back to the office, and you know, the whole thing go out to dinner after that. He, they all order lasagna, and uh, and the lasagna came out, and it was it was the size of a shoebox.
1: <laughs> Richard needs to go there for lasagna.
0: And it, uh, I, I'm exaggerating a little bit there. It was the size of, um, it was bigger in every dimension than a standard paving brick. <laughs> You know, it was like, yeah. it was enough for my entire family.
1: Right, right. Yeah, <laughs> I ordered. <it>. See, <laughs> the, the lasagna I can relate to because when Richard makes lasagna, mm. he does it in, like he doesn't use a lasagna pan. He uses a turkey pan. Oof. And it will be full. Wow. And and it will, but you know, we end up freezing like a ton of it.
0: Yeah. But yeah.
1: Yeah, Richard, Richard loves his lasagna, so that I can, that one I can relate to.
0: Yeah. So I just don't eat like that. I eat like a bigger yeah. breakfast and then I snack all day.
1: Yeah, uh, I have like a couple of snacks throughout the day and then I'll have dinner.
0: Yeah. It's it's not easy being a vegetarian in Croatia, I'll tell you that right now. Mm. They had uh it was just like the ver- we got out of the airplane and they took us to a restaurant called the it was the unfortunately named Peter Eater restaurant. <laughs> and uh which they no no nobody
1: No one got that no one yeah. got that,
0: yeah. Yeah, I was like, I thought they were kidding when they told me the name of it,
1: but yeah, anyway. and then you got there, oh, completely different culture.
0: Yeah, and then they brought you know uh, two huge platters of giant sausages, so <laughs> 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 someone got the joke. Uh, anyway, so it was really fun though. Uh, it was kind of like um, Croatia. We were in the capital city of Zagreb, and it was, it's kind of like old Europe. It really is. Mm-hmm. It's like Europe from the seventies or eighties. It was nice. The hotel was really nice too. Cool. Yeah. So that was uh that was a fun trip. Lots of flying. Lots
1: of flying, lots of time at the gym next week.
0: <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah, and then Thanksgiving. So. Yes. Uh, we are ready. All right, cool. So we have some fun stuff to talk about this week.
1: Yeah, a few things.
0: Yep. Um I guess uh, I, we could start off with Kelly giving us updates on uh, a couple topics we've touched on in previous episodes, uh, like Data Mapper and Bootstrap, and a little bit of Markdown news.
1: Yeah, yeah, none of it's none of it's anything major. But um, oh, a while ago when I was started doing started building um, REST APIs on Sinatra, I was using Data Mapper with it. It's a just a just a little bit different um ORM than Active Record. Mm-hmm. And on the and you know, then I switched to Active Record because it had some features in it that as far as um better migrations. Mainly mainly the migrations was the main reason I switched mm-hmm. to Active Record. And um but I found out something the other day. Um, I was I was doing some work in PHP and working on a CodeIgniter application, and there is a a data mapper library for PHP. Oh. That gives you, uh, and I don't know if it's specific, if it's for PHP. I mean, well, obviously it's for PHP, but the one I was using was specifically a CodeIgniter library. I don't know if it's modified from like a more generic PHP version, or if this was built specifically for CodeIgniter.
0: Mm,
1: yeah. That's a but but having having DataMapper in CodeIgniter pretty much fixes my main complaint about CodeIgniter, and that was the database class. Mm. So. Uh, but it's nice um, because unlike unlike their built-in database class, which they they call its syntax an Active Record syntax, but it's really not. I mean, it's 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 very just syntactical. It's not an actual active record sort of relationship modeling. It just uses active record syntax, mm. and um, so. But anyway, it lets you you can actually set up proper you know, one to many, m- many to many, you know that sort of type of relationships in your data models in your PHP application, and and then mapper handles all of the 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 loading and querying of relationships and things like that. Awesome, and um, you know you don't have to create separate, separate functionality in your model for doing the basic um, sort of CRUD functionality. You just call the the native built-in data mapper you know, save, create, delete, save, create, destroy functions that way, and so it eliminates a lot of code, sort of repetitive code writing there.
0: Mm, cool. In that respect too. Yeah, that's really cool because there. It's pretty common. Well, it's common enough. It happens to me that uh, that sometimes when you do a client gig, they if they don't have uh, Ruby developers uh, or Rails developers, they you know they have PHP developers, and they're like, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, you know, could you just build it in PHP? And if so, then that, that was why I did that Slim thing. Uh, a little while right. back i was going to use Sinatra but they they didn't have any ruby talent so i was like all right i'll do it in php and uh and what with slim i wonder if there's a uh wonder if there's a data mapper for slim that'd be kind of cool
1: yeah or just a generic data mapper for php that you could abstract right. or or you know maybe take this this code library and and change it up
0: yeah or just use coding i mean i don't have anything yeah. against Codeigniter really um, I,
1: I don't either uh, no, actually, but the, really the only thing I had against Coding Niter was the database class.
0: So. Right, right. Oh, that's cool. Very cool. And so you've got more experience with Bootstrap now?
1: Yes, yes. I've been using it pretty extensively for the past week hmm. and have started on another actually fairly large project with it. And I have to just say I I really like it. Ah. I, I do end up with a little bit, you know, your markup gets a little bit messier because there's a few more div tags here and there. Mm-hmm. But oh, hang on. Yeah. Hello. Mm-hmm. Uh, actually, well, I'm on I'm on another call right now. Alrighty, no problem. Sorry about that. Uh, where was I?
0: You're saying uh that it's that bootstrap, you know, creates a little bit of divitis.
1: Yeah, a little bit. Um, you get a little bit extra markup there, which is. Somewhat annoying, but you know I can live with it for all the other benefits that I'm getting out of it. Mm-hmm. And I'd always kind of been anti CSS grid systems. yeah you know, as a as a design element itself, I'm all for designing using a grid. Because it just makes a lot of sense to. Mm-hmm. But um, as far as actually having a CSS grid system, to me, it always seemed like something that, you know, that's that's easy enough to do and, and avoid a lot of extra, a lot of extra CSS you maybe don't need and, and things like that.
0: So I didn't follow you there. So yeah, you, sorry. You mean that boot, Bootstrap allows you to? I I didn't follow that. Well, actually, let's back up for a second because okay. I don't even I don't even know. Uh, I've never used a grid system because i just mm-hmm. i don't care so if the if the uh I've worked with them when other people designed them, but i don't i personally I don't think they're worth it <laughs> but,
1: yeah see well that was that was my opinion too
0: yeah and the thing that drives me crazy about them and maybe they're implemented differently and it was just the one I looked at but uh the the you end up going through your HTML and adding all these non-semantic class names to everything.
1: Yeah, that's that's pretty much how it is.
0: Yeah, and that to me that is a non-starter.
1: Well, I, I felt the same way for a long time, but okay. after using it after using it with this, after using it in Bootstrap on this project, um Yeah, it's still kind of it still kind of bugs me, but I think the trade-offs are worth it because you get a get a nice fluid responsive grid that just it, you know it just it pretty, it just works
0: right you know yeah
1: so you don't have to fool with it right and so you, know, you end up with some extra class names here and there like you know, span eight pad
0: whatever <laughs> yeah it just it just makes my skin crawl but yeah the the flip side of the of the the flip side of that if anybody wants to rag on me about it you know i do very simple designs so it it doesn't I mean, a lot of the times the pages that I design just for myself, I, I hesitate to even use the word design because they're barely more than the default browser display. Yeah. Because I just don't, to me, it's it's just not, you know, I I I don't have fun doing it, I guess is what I'm trying to say. I don't have mm. fun, like, you know, making this thing line up with that thing. Uh, so, I don't yeah. know. Obviously, for a complex site like the Boston Globe, they, you know, you need to use a grid, otherwise it would just be a <laughs> disaster area.
1: Right, right. I mean, I've, I've always, you know, now there's a large dog barking in the background.
0: <laughs> He's probably being attacked by the cat.
1: Probably. <laughs> it's, not, it's not my dog,
0: though. Oh. So who cares?
1: Yeah, exactly. Not, not my responsibility. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I just, and I mean, the grid system is just a small part of Bootstrap, but it's one of the, one of the things that I had always kind of balked at. In the past, but after using it for a while, eh, yeah, there's, you know, in, a, in an ideal world, I wouldn't have all of these extra divs and non-semantic class names and my goodness, can you hear him?
0: A little bit. <laughs> he's hit by a car or something?
1: No, he's yeah, he's tied up.
0: Mm. I it's do the same be fun thing. To edit. Yeah, I do he the same do thing. No, he's not that loud.
1: Okay. But yeah, the um, the CSS grid and Bootstrap, like I said, it's just a small part of it, but it it was always kind of a turn off just because of the idea and the extra extra markup and class names that it requires but after using it on a large project with a more complicated layout i think it's totally worth it in the amount of time it saves especially when you're doing a responsive layout
0: right yeah i mean i am definitely going to get hate mail about saying i'm not a, i'm not for grid systems but the and i'm not i don't think they're bad i just don't like it for yeah, me yeah
1: the overhead for your type of projects
0: yeah i just don't uh, and so that the th- I think the thing that bugs me about it and people who i would be happy to hear feedback from people who do this all the time, like people who are more doing the, the front end, but it feels like, um, it feels like that, that is just a return to page container based design. Like, like you're just making a lot of them. So instead of making a desktop Grid, you know, page—it's mm-hmm. designed for grid. St- now you're making one. Now you're making five. You know, you're making like one for uh, for mobile, small screen. Then you're making one for you know, small tablets in two orientations, and then big tablets in two orientations, and then desktop browsers. And
1: well, it to me it feels a little bit like I mean, you know, if you have purely semantic markup and then you apply your style to that, you can change your look completely. If you're implementing a grid system, you're going to have a lot of extra class names in there that are specifically for that grid system. It makes it hard to... You can't redesign the page later or change the layout of the page just by editing the CSS.
0: Right. Yeah, it creates a... I don't know. I just... It, but I realize that I'm being totally idealistic. It's it's like ivory tower kind of approach. If I, If, if yeah. somebody... If some client gives me a design and, you know that's the way to implement it, then, then I'd probably have someone else do it because I wouldn't (laughs) want to get me to do it. (laughs) Yeah. But, uh, I understand that it's necessary because certain designs can't be implemented any other way, but it makes me think the design should be different. So I don't,
1: I don't know. I mean, uh, yeah, I've, I've always kind of felt the same way. And, but like I said, using it on this, on this larger site, I can just put the class names in there and it just works and it scales down properly for mobile and it's responsive and that's and cool. I don't have to fool with it so
0: yeah I mean I, I'll keep an open mind yeah and in fact that's that is a little bit what we did in uh, jQ touch where we would put class names on like a button and that mm-hmm. would indicate um, the animation that it should use to to switch pages or whatever so right so I guess I'm being a little hypocritical but uh,
1: yeah'll yeah. I'll send you I'll send you the code for this once I'm done I don't I don't think they would have a problem with you seeing it at all.
0: Cool. Well, it's going to be a public site, right?
1: Well, yeah. So true it is. But uh, yeah, t- t- take a look at it once it's done. And
0: yeah, well, I'll take. I I will. I'll I'll keep an open mind. Yes.
1: <laughs> and the other thing that I really like about Bootstrap now that I've now that I've had some more experience with it is how easy it is to extend uh, the the JavaScript and to override the CSS, oh. the, the default CSS. And I found uh, some of the jo- I found the JavaScript to be really easy to extend the functionality there. Like there's a um bootstrap has, for instance, they have a carousel image carousel or mm-hmm. uh, well, you don't have to use it specifically for images. You can put anything in there. I happen to be using it for images. but i needed I needed some additional functionality for that. like I needed little you know pips down below the carousel so you could switch to individual slides
0: mm-hmm.
1: sort of thing, which it didn't have by default. And Is that what they're called? I don't know.
0: That's a great, that's a great name for them. Pips. Huh? Pips. Pips. Yeah. That's what they are. That's that's a perfect name. (laughs) (laughs) Um,
1: So, but yes, but, and just, just adding things like that, I found to be really easy to do and adding, you know, extending, extending some Ajax components to tabs and that sort of thing. I, yeah, you know, i mean it's all it's all jquery but i found that what they have their their javascript that they have is really you know it's it's really easy to, to sort of add to that without and and do your own thing on top of that without it screwing up the underlying code that lies beneath their yeah each.
0: that's huge that's very yeah. that's very good
1: yeah yeah i was i was very pleased with that
0: so does something like a carousel is it just one of those it's it's uh, I mean, one of those deep, you know, just like a home page, and then it animates between like three hero graphics or whatever. Mm-hmm. Is it like uh, touch aware? Like, can you swipe it on a touch screen device?
1: Uh, you know, I haven't tried.
0: But I thought you did all your development mobile first.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I haven't tried swiping images <laughs> on, a gallery, on, on carousels. Busted. I just, I've just been tapping arrows. <laughs>
0: Oh, okay. So, well, yeah. That's a, I mean, as long as it's as long as there's a there's a you know like a yeah affordance for yeah yeah. So I haven't really looked into Bootstrap uh, much at all. I, basically, everything I know about it is from you telling me so, <laughs> um, and that I've got that sort of that lingering that lingering uh, question about like how it how it performs on mobile because it wasn't really the initial way that it worked
1: yeah it seems to be much better now yeah the, the um bootstrap 2 has been uh, again i was i was put off kind of by the initial version of bootstrap as well mm-hmm. uh, for for similar reasons and and the whole the whole grid thing and the whole uh, it, but yeah it the um the newer newer versions of bootstrap and the ability to do custom builds and as how easy it is to extend and what have you. I think it's, it's come a long way, and it's definitely something I can see myself using a lot now.
0: Yeah. The, you touched on the other, the other thing that I was going to bring up, which is the custom builds. That is a big, uh, that's a big thing for me. Yeah. So if you can do custom builds and it's easy to extend, it's kind of like, why wouldn't you use it? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So would you kind of put it in the same, same category as like um, jQuery UI? Or is it? I don't. I guess not. It's like a. Um, or would you? Is there? Would you use those together in any way? It's
1: kind. Of, I guess I kind of maybe would classify it the same.
0: Because it seems more like it seems to me like jQuery UI is like very widgety, mm-hmm. and this seems a little bit more um, layouty. But maybe that's yeah. just because yeah, yeah, it,
1: it about, is. It is. Yeah and you can you can certainly build widgets with it but and it has some you know button components and things like that but yeah it's it's definitely more i guess more toward an an overall layout
0: mm-hmm.
1: type of feel and it's uh you know it's an entire i i hesitate to call it a framework because it doesn't really fit my idea of what a framework is right, but it's an entire front end. Yeah, I mean it's, a, it's an entire package for doing front end development.
0: Right. Yeah, that's I mean, it's uh, it's a very popular and it's something yeah. that uh, I, next time I do a you know something more involved than like a couple page site, uh, it's it it out of the box is designed better than anything I could hope to do on my yeah. own. Yeah. Yeah. So. And I think that's true for a lot of people because you see all of these I mean, you can see bootstrap sites like as soon as you as soon as you launch a page you're like Bootstrap. Yeah. And uh in five years we're all gonna be it's gonna be like like web development in the two thousand ten through two thousand twelve or whenever it came out. Yeah. It's gonna be like that's gonna define the design of the era, the look of the yeah, era. Yeah, it
1: it is. It's funny. And you know, again I've I've seen people complain that, oh well the problem with bootstrap sites is they all look alike. Mm-hmm. But the thing is, they don't have to. It would be really easy to extend what's there and override what's there and style what's there mm-hmm. into into like your own custom look. Like the site I'm working on, it's 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 a pretty. You know, I mean, it's if you if you look at it, you can tell that oh, it's you know probably Bootstrap, but it doesn't doesn't look overly I guess bootstrappy.
0: Right. Yeah, I mean it's. It's like saying all WordPress sites look alike. It's because yeah. so many people just leave them the default. Right,
1: right. So many people, you know, if it works and you don't need more, why do more? You know? Right.
0: Yeah. This, it was funny, too, with JQ uh, Touch. Uh, Dave Kaneda went way out of his way to uh, make sure that he could say to people that it's fully themable and you can, you can absolutely change everything at runtime if you want oh. to. And no one does? No one does. Nobody. Nobody. <laughs> everybody uses the default theme always it's like yeah. i have almost never seen an example it's like if you use jq touch it's because you like that default theme
1: right right the default theme and then i think there's a dark theme too
0: yeah well that's the default theme yeah. oh
1: the dark theme is the default now. Yeah.
0: yeah and then there's a uh, there's a uh, there's like a more bluish iphone one that no one uses yeah so it's it, it's funny but i'll i guarantee you that if if uh, it sounded like I think he was right to be able to say, "Oh, you can use fully themable. You can do whatever you want." Because if 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 he couldn't have said that, everyone would be like, "Oh, I don't want to be locked in." Right. <laughs> so <don't> yeah, <laughs> people will like change a background image or like the back, uh, like the the HTML background color all the way at the way back. Yeah. But that's about it.
1: Yeah. It's like, you know, for a lot of things. And I'm sure there are probably probably other designers out there who will throw rotten eggs at me and send me hate mail, <laughs> but not everything needs a custom design.
0: Right. Yeah, I'm totally with you. And, uh, and but I I get the designer argument too, which is that yeah. you know you want to have a personality, you want to have a unique brand, and but then the, and there is a middle ground there, and then the, the mm-hmm. far end of the the where de- design goes wrong is when people are doing stuff just because they can. Like, like, I'm gonna put the logo, the the main logo that is the link to the homepage at the bottom, and yeah. or I'm gonna put all the navigation in the middle. Or, you know, it's like that's not the structure of a, the way a web page works. Yeah,
1: yeah, or mystery meat navigation where you exactly. just hit little dots or arrows or exactly blocks. Yeah.
0: So you know, which that you don't really, you see that mostly when people are first getting started with yeah like page development. Like ah, my site's gonna be different. I'm gonna put the link to the homepage. The link to the homepage is gonna be hidden. It's going to be like an Easter egg. <laughs> you have to, you have to like hover over it for three seconds and then it fades in from the background.
1: I, I, I may have gone through a similar phase in the mid nineties. <laughs> oh
0: yeah, I totally did too. Yeah. But you know, and then I just gave Put up. Put a
1: MIDI on there too. You what? Put a MIDI on there too.
0: Oh God. <laughs> you know what? You know what actually strikes me as like, uh, like overly clever design. I just saw this the other day and not to, mm-hmm. I, I hate, I almost, I'm almost changing my mind about saying this, but it's too late now. Um, the noun project. Yeah. So the noun project just has like a, it's sort of like a crowdsourced universal set of icon graphics or like little glyphs.
1: Bajillion SVG files you can download. Yeah.
0: It's really, really cool. But the site is just impenetrable to navigate.
1: Yeah. And they've just recently redesigned too.
0: I'm sure that's what I saw because I remember using it before and it was, it was, it's very black and white and Mm -hmm. it's kind of like Swiss design, uh, which I love, but you you like click on something you're like, what is this site doing? It's like (laughs) animating and things are sliding around and it's kind of like a feat of development. It's pretty amazing what they did, but I can't, it's like, I can, I can, is there a download button please? Can I, can I get this?
1: and the most annoying part is when I command click on something and it doesn't open a new window because, oh, it's a button element, not a link.
0: Ugh. Yeah. Yeah. No, so,
1: I want a new tab.
0: Yeah. So I'm perfectly happy to to get punched in the face by the people that went to all the trouble to make that site because it's, it's it's an amazing implementation, but good grief. It is. Could I just like I, s- I haven't search.
1: taken a good look at it since the redesign, but I did notice that they redesigned last time I was there.
0: It's like learning a new application. <laughs> Which, you know, I just want to search for icons and download them.
1: Yeah. So. Yeah. Um, I think I was, I might have been on, on the noun project looking for SVG files because I was playing around with building a font in Icon Moon.
0: Hmm. In Icon I, what?
1: I think it's called Icon Moon.
0: Huh.
1: I think it's IconMoon.io. But, uh, yeah, it lets you build custom, custom icon fonts. Oh, cool! Like you can you can choose from choose icons from various font collections, and they have a lot of free ones, and others you can pay to add. But you can upload um, SVG files to create fonts too, and of course you can download SVG files from um, the Noun Project. So you can just grab things off of the Noun Project and import them into that and, and build an icon font mm-hmm. off of it. And there was mm-hmm. another another service, similar service. I had to go back and look it up um, that somebody did during Rails Rumble. As well for creating icon fonts.
0: Hmm, that's interesting. And and the in case the dear listener is not familiar with icon fonts, give a quick.
1: Yes, yes, uh, an icon font. Basically, it's it's just that it's a font, a font that's just a collection of icons. And so then you go in with your CSS, and if you want to add an icon to something, um, you just just drop an element in there and. And set the um, you know create the icon in the element using um, CSS uh, pseudo elements.
0: Yeah, and the and the cool part about it is that the reason it started to become a thing was when we started dealing with um, sort of responsive design, lots of different sized screens. So we had to make lots things of different, different sizes DPIs and lots of different DPIs because yeah. fonts are um, not rasterized; they're vector. So. yeah
1: yeah and in fact they're they're even better than just your typical vector art because you can do there's all kinds of font hinting and things you can do I mean I'm not a font designer I know there's it can get really complicated mm-hmm. but there's there's different types of of hinting and anti-aliasing and and things you can do with with scaling fonts at certain levels
0: right so it's kind of a hack uh, it's a workaround since we don't have support for or since SVG support is, I guess, not as good as people would like, uh, yeah. and and it gives you a little bit more fine grain control over how something's going to render at a different a particular size. Like you might, as as things get really really small, as as type sizes get really really small, you might want to actually change the design of the way the letter works. Yeah. So it's it's an interesting approach that I think probably be useful for a little while for people who are like really, really really intense about making things pixel perfect.
1: I re- I really like them a lot
0: cool
1: I use font awesome all the time
0: yeah that's cool and in in fact on Avalio we used we didn't use any graphics we used um just basically zapping bats for any uh,
1: yeah yeah UTF-8 characters didn't
0: we? yeah whatever I, I don't even remember what it was but there's no images in that site but we have stars and check marks and smiley faces and
1: uh, yeah yeah I think they're just unicode characters
0: yeah probably cool and then uh, we have a, a quick markdown update.
1: Uh yes. Um, I was I was looking around in Tumblr the other day because I was actually um actually setting up a Tumblr for Kira. Oh. Um, Tumblr execs, you did not hear that. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> that my that my under thirteen year old child has a Tumblr. But um, <clears throat> anyway. <laughs> I was setting this up for her, and they've recently done some some updates and a little bit of redesign to their uh, dashboard and settings and things like that. So I don't know if this is a new feature or if it was just hidden away somewhere before and I didn't see it. But the Tumblr, the, um, the editor that you use for writing posts when you go into your blog settings, um, yeah, it uses a, a rich text editor by default. You can go in and you can set it to plain text. But then I also noticed now they have markdown support.
0: Oh, yeah. So you
1: can, you can change that editor and just write code, write your blog post in Markdown.
0: That's awesome. I, I really think Markdown is going to be the syntax.
1: Yeah, if, I really want to be able to do Markdown in Gmail.
0: That would be cool. Yeah. Yeah. I wish I could set my Gmail to always make everything plain text. Because... no. No. Mm. Well, if you get a rich text for, email from someone...
1: It's gonna go ahead
0: and yeah I want it I want it to automatically convert to plain text because it's very difficult on the phone to uh mm. to reply like in line to an email yeah. if it's rich text and you like it's really hard on the phone mm. uh, so I wish they just when they came in it would just automatically strip I could tell it to strip all the all the there's a way you can do it in the new desktop version but uh, I don't think it's made its way into the phone yet mm. But yeah, I think Markdown is like Markdown's the syntax for it's basically going to be the RTF, you know, for stuff that RTF could have done. Yeah, it's it's the new. You can learn it learn it in two seconds. Um, you know, it's it does eighty percent of everything you're ever going to want to write. You know, unless you're in some like fringe, you know, whatever mathematician or physicist or something,
1: kind of, or some kind of really odd poet,
0: right. (laughs) Yeah, unless you're C.S. Lewis. So I think that's really cool. In fact, I was uh, on my trip. I didn't have a, a a power plug. So this was stupid. I I was like, oh, I checked to see. I don't have a uh, power plug for Croatia because they have a, their own kind. And I figured oh, I'll just get one at the hotel on the way there. But what I didn't think of was like, well, I'm going to be in uh, Zurich and Paris and... Um, somewhere else
1: mm, so you didn't take it so layovers. you could charge things along the way
0: yeah i should have done that so then i was like oh crap i can't use my i basically i couldn't use my computer like the entire trip except for when i was in mm. the office even at the hotel they didn't have an adapter that would work
1: mm.
0: so because uh, it's three prong to they didn't have a three prong us to, yeah. to convert it so i was like so i was on my ipad the whole time mm-hmm. and thank god i brought the ipad 2 which has the good battery instead of the ipad 3 hmm. which has the crap battery and so I did, uh, I had been working on this piece um, uh, about the future of retail, and mm-hmm. I typed the whole thing in, on my iPad, which was not too painful, um, and in an application called ByWord, which is is highly optimized for typing markdown. Mm-hmm. And it was, I got to say, it was a pretty pleasurable experience, all things considered. Uh, the typing wasn't as simple, of course, because it was on a screen and not a keyboard, a real keyboard, but um, yeah. it was a lot more comfortable on a tight plane ride to be on my iPad and not have to mess around with my laptop. Oh, yeah. So it kind of balanced out. The battery lasted the entire time. Um, it was pretty great. So Cool. So Markdown. Cool. Get down with Markdown.
1: <laughs> yeah, John's John's not being hired to write the slogans for Markdown. <laughs>
0: I just I think it's it is it's an obvious choice.
1: It is. I like it a lot and yeah, you know it's it's a no-brainer. You don't yeah. you don't have to think about it. It's like if you were just writing a text document and you wanted to for some reason throw a little bit of formatting in there, it's just kind of naturally what you would do.
0: Mhm. Yep. It's a genius move. Keep it simple. Um I suppose I suppose we could have a longer conversation about how it works in non-US languages or if it works or but uh, that'd be something to look into in the future. Mm-hmm. Cool beans. So the big talk for today, though, so get comfortable, dear listener, is about cores, which we have talked about in the past. Uh, Cross origin resource sharing, which essentially gives, um, gives web designers and developers a way around the same domain restriction. Uh, Imposed by browsers on Ajax requests. So, yeah, so if you want to retrieve, you know, you've got um, a web app on JonathanStark.com and you want to retrieve, uh, you know, some data programmatically from KellyShaver.com, you, unless you do something fancy, you can't do that because it's, the the script is not allowed to talk to another domain because the... Yeah,
1: you'd have to, you'd have to do JSONP, which sucks.
0: Yeah. Yeah, JSONP is a is a clever workaround, but it is a bit of a pain. So, uh, and the other thing that people do is proxy requests through a like a PHP page or a Ruby page, and then because you can do all of this stuff from the server side, you can curl any domain you want from the server side, uh, and then return the data. But that creates weird problems, uh, especially if there are if there's throttling um, the request limits on the API itself, then it seems like all of the requests are coming from the same place and you have to be very slick to, you know, it's, there's, it's, it's a, well, it's a much needed solution, the course thing. Yes. So, uh, if you have a, if you host an API and you want other people to be able to access it programmatically with JavaScript without having to jump through hoops, you, could do something as simple as just uh, add access control, uh, allow origin asterisk. I think I have that right. Yes. On the server side, and just return that header, and it will mm-hmm. allow uh, it will. And, the, and so here's what happens: the browser will say, "Oh, this this web app wants to this web app hosted at jonathanstark.com wants to talk to a REST API on kellyshaver.com." So first, it sends a request to see. What all is allowed over at KellyShaver.com, and KellyShaver.com returns, uh, you know, the a- access control allow origin asterisk or just JonathanStark.com if you wanted to be picky. Mm-hmm. And so that and the browser says, "Oh, cool." Kelly Shaver set up her web server so that uh, it can accept requests from any domain, from from scripts hosted on any domain. So then it goes ahead and does the uh, the actual request that was supposed to go. So there's like. So, you know, there's two requests for every one. And in fact, I was in, uh, the reason, one of the reasons I was in Croatia was because we were, um, one of the things we had to do while we were there was debug um, a performance issue in an application that's doing a lot of this stuff, where it's like hosted on one domain, it's accessing a REST API in another domain. And it needed to, one of the things it would do is retrieve a whole bunch of images uh at launch so it'd be it'd get a bunch of thumbnails um it, imagine a twitter app it's not a twitter app but imagine a twitter app you know that first page load you have to get the avatars for like a list of 20 or 30 people
1: yeah might, might be better to say imagine instagram <laughs>
0: yes now that they have a website well i guess it would be the same for now
1: yeah but yeah it, it loads up a bunch of a bunch of images
0: Right, and and they're like like tiles of the actual images, but then there's also these avatars for each user that's involved. And it was taking like forever for the image. Like, and when I say forever, I mean like four minutes for uh, the images to load in these this tile view. And it was like, what the heck? If you know, if you ping the API directly, it was returning in like milliseconds. Uh, but something was going on. So we started investigating the network requests, and there were all of these. Options requests, so there'd be like sixty options requests, and then there'd be sixty get requests, and um, and everything that I told you about cores uh, a second ago, uh, we learned in the last two days. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) At the time, you know, the the API wasn't doing anything; it was just 404ing on the options requests. Yeah. And, uh, you know, because we we didn't explicitly add options, uh, we didn't add like we weren't listening for options verbs, you know, it just wasn't, right. that method was ignored. And, um, so they were all 404 fouring, but they all had to go before any of the, uh, any of the, this, the, it, their sort of sibling get request could happen. Yeah. So there were like 60 of these things that were just blocking all the other requests. And then, um, uh, and then the other requests would go.
1: Yes. So, what we ended up doing and what the options request was doing. Um, like you said, I gather the options request doesn't happen on, it, it may or may not happen on every request from the browser and different browsers handle it differently. But what the options request does is it it pings the server, the remote server to say, hey, you know, what, what verbs can I use for this URL?
0: Right. It does both. Right. Yeah. What right. origins so, are allowed and what verbs are and allowed. And what verbs
1: can I use. So what we did is we just, we set up, because we set up a, um, we're now we're listening for options. And in addition to the access control header, we are passing another header that, that tells what verbs can be used. Like get, post, put, delete.
0: Mm-hmm. And now did you have to add that to the API itself or is that something you're just doing at the web server level?
1: Uh, I added it to the API because right now we're just serving things with Thin and it was you know, easiest enough to just go in and, and do it with the API because I don't have a full um like system wide install with thin
0: at the right. moment. I gotcha. So I've been reading up on this a little bit and I and you just mentioned that it doesn't seem like every request cause triggers an options mm-hmm. request. And uh one of the things I haven't tested this yet, but one of the things I stumbled across. Uh, was from a from a, a page that we'll link to in the in the show notes, uh, called a CORS compliant REST API. That says I'll just read you this paragraph. It says for standard requests, the browser will add origin and access control request method headers. A preflight request uh, sorry a preflight request will be executed before the actual request if it contains custom headers, if it uses another HTTP verb than GET or POST or also if the body isn't in text plain format ie application json. And okay,
1: so it's it's the custom headers in our It's the case.
0: custom headers, right? Because we're sending in a uh, uh, a session token in the headers.
1: Yeah, which I kind of think I kind of think we should just be putting in the authorized header instead of using something custom, but at this
0: point, you know, whatever. Yeah, that's an interesting. That's something to look into. I wonder if it mm-hmm. gets stomped anywhere if the browser would Stop it.
1: Yeah, I don't know. Um, I used it. Um, I used it on something recently, but I don't remember what. Mm. It's oh,
0: that, oh,
1: oh,
0: oh, um, Moodly. Really. Oh, really?
1: Yeah. Let's, yeah, The uh, when you're making API requests in Moodly, mm-hmm. use the authorized header.
0: Uh, cool. What's the authorized header f- supposed to be for?
1: Uh, it's supposed to contain um, HTTP basic auth information, I believe. Okay. Like if you're not if you're not passing it in the URL.
0: Oh right, so you'd say right you'd say it'd basically be the username colon password. Yeah. Well, that's probably a good place to put it then. Um, yeah. That does make sense. Hmm. We have to play around with that.
1: But anyway, anyway.
0: <laughs> yeah. So anyway, we that were. Was- yeah, we were I'm oh, sorry. Yeah, we were just getting all of these options requests and they were blocking the get requests. And that was that was basically the problem. Yeah. And it also does and, and that this paragraph that I just read does kind of indicate why I hadn't noticed this before. Um, because a lot of the REST APIs that we've spent you know, most of our experimental work on, like Avalio, for example. Mm-hmm. There's no auth header so there were no custom headers and I, I'm gonna guess that I don't know this from memory but I think we only did get and post requests so if this blog post is correct then that means that we never would have triggered a a uh, an options header right request
1: right yeah I am um, actually I should try it with moodly since I'm using a, the authorized header mm. I should I should um do cores headers with moodly and and see we, we shouldn't in that case, we shouldn't get the author the um the preflight options request
0: right right, so dear listener, who's out there making apps that run everywhere this is a a um, browser specific issue because it's it's really limited to um JavaScript calls from a browser environment or or javascript initiated call http requests from browser environment, but if you do want your API to be available to you know, clients all over, whatever kind of client then you're going to want to add uh, CORS support or access control headers to your uh, web server so that people who are creating clients that are JavaScript based will be able to access it without having to jump through hoops.
1: What's What's interesting to me is all the articles I had read about CORS say, oh yeah, it's it's easy to implement, all you have to do is send back this header
0: Hmm. and
1: like there's there's no mention of that pre-flight request made anywhere yeah maybe i'm just reading the wrong articles but
0: no you're right i've never heard of this before it was complete news to me so i mean it makes total sense when you think about it it's like well yeah like in fact now that now that i'm aware of it i don't understand why it doesn't do that (laughs) on get requests
1: yeah yeah now that i'm now that i know it's there i'm like okay, that makes sense. How did it work when I didn't think when I thought it didn't exist? (laughs) Exactly.
0: (laughs) How did this ever work? Yeah. So I guess the browser just, I don't know. I guess for simple stuff, they keep it simple, basically. It's like if if I'm just doing a get and there's nothing fancy going on, then it, I don't know, maybe the browser will, I suppose what it's doing is the browser is saying, "Eh, everything's probably fine. Just do the one get request with no custom headers and when we get the response which means that the server had to go through all the trouble to create the response yeah. access the database etc cetera, etc cetera. when we get it back we might throw it away because uh, you know it it doesn't have the uh, access control header that it should have had I don't I don't, but that doesn't make sense because you could be using a network sniffer but I guess no one cares about that because you could ping the server directly anyway I don't, <laughs> right. the whole thing is so weird
1: yeah, and, and another interesting thing, um, when we when we weren't responding to the options request at all, mm-hmm. like it was you were getting a four hundred four, but then it was still going ahead and loading things,
0: right? Which is sh- you'd think it w- shouldn't have.
1: Yeah. Well, then when I changed the um, API to respond to the options request, um, the first time I did it, I had a typo in there, and um, the the response was it was malformed. Mm-hmm. Um, I had I had a quotation mark where I. Shouldn't have like I hit the key twice or something, mm-hmm. and um, and so then, whenever that happened, I would get
0: a four hundred three. You know, your
1: little your little arrow that popped, a little alert thing that popped up and said, you know, method not allowed.
0: Oh, really? Mm-hmm.
1: Saying that the get method was not allowed because options was there, but it was wasn't responding, saying okay, you can do a get.
0: Yeah. So it's it's almost like. I think it is just one of those things where it's kind of like, it reminds me of uh, of touch events on iOS where if you, if you don't do anything related to touch events or uh, anything like that, it just assumes everything's a click. And, mm-hmm. but as soon as you start messing with touch events, all of a sudden you have to learn a bunch of stuff because it, it, it like, it's almost like I, if you put in a uh, touch event handlers, the browser's mm-hmm. kind of like, okay, this person thinks they know what they're doing. So, yeah, it's an,
1: it's an all or nothing.
0: Yeah, so here's all the rope you need to hang yourself. <laughs> uh, so, you know, if you're if it's like you want to get into that level of difficulty, then you uh, be my learn how to do it, right? Yeah. I think it's kind of like the same thing where if you don't know what you're doing and you're just doing get and post requests and there's no fanciness going on, then it'll just work. Uh, but if there is any fanciness going on at all, you need to get everything right.
1: Yeah, it's like you either need to know what you're doing or you need to not mess with this.
0: Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's It sort of seems like that, but this is still, I mean, like literally learned, figured out this like two days ago. so
1: Yeah, and once we figured it out, the solution was simple. It was just. Mm-hmm.
0: But it makes me think there's a lot more to it. There, You know, I've been looking through the spec and there are quite a few um, related headers that you can return from the yeah. server. There's probably a, a dozen of them. And, in fact, one of the ones that, you know, we were like, well, geez, like, why do I have to make the options request every single time? You know, like, why not? Can't we cache it? And sure enough, you can.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think I'm returning a cache header now.
0: Yeah. It's like max life or, or something. Yeah.
1: I think I've got it set to like 180 seconds or something.
0: Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. So, it was, uh, it was a fun little exercise. And we got... uh Solved a problem that had been stumping everyone for weeks.
1: Yeah. If only we'd looked at the network tab sooner.
0: <laughs> yeah. So.
1: Yeah, and actually, I accidentally ended up hammering on the API for quite a while after that because I left the um, the test page that you had. I left it open. I didn't realize it was automatically refreshing itself every so often.
0: <laughs> no, it was. It, it's not actually automatically refreshing. It That's just not? goes to. No, it just keeps scrolling to the bottom. Oh but it stops after the um after the prescribed number of of iterations have been gone through.
1: Oh, okay. Okay. Cuz so I thought it was refreshing and I, I left it open for like 5 hours. <laughs>
0: <laughs> no. But that was and- that, that was another thing we did. That thing was that thing was it seemed pretty pretty robust. We were sending like tons of requests to it from multiple yeah. machines and browsers.
1: Yeah, I'm I'm pleased with myself on that one. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah it's definitely no sense. bottleneck there
1: always always nice to know that thing you built works
0: Mm-hmm. so i suppose the yeah, it's, i don't know if it's worth mentioning but the killer is that at, in production all this stuff's going to live on the same server so none of it matters
1: mm-hmm.
0: in production because we don't have to worry about cores
1: yeah but eventually it may not
0: yeah that's true that's true and so uh, I mean this is good to know for I uh, lots of other APIs. Yeah. Because you can imagine being like, ah well I'll just implement uh you know, when I go to production I'm gonna actually put this on the API in one place and I'm gonna put the app itself somewhere else and then all of a sudden it would break and be like, What the Yeah. So definitely a good exercise.
1: Yeah, it was it was a it was a good week for learning things and, and trying new things.
0: Yes. Got a whole bunch of, uh, there are a whole bunch of little things that uh, I came across in the last week that, that um, will be fun to talk about in future. Mm-hmm. But I uh, n- don't know enough about them yet to, to really even have an intelligent conversation. Yeah. But there's a lot of fun stuff happening. Oh,
1: when, when has that stopped us? But yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I like to at least have a proof of concept working. Yeah. But like, yeah. you know, there's tons of stuff. Tons of stuff coming up.
1: <laughs> like I was I was reading my um had a tweet come up yesterday on my Twitter feed from Ryan Bates, who is the um
0: the author of
1: um Railscasts. Just a bunch of a bunch of uh, Ruby on Rails screencasts. They're just it's it's the resor- res- the resource to go to if you want to learn um Rails. Hmm. Good to know. And um <laughs> like he tweeted, it's like Do you ever feel like you're just an echo chamber of misinformation? <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, about once a week. <laughs> yeah, that, that hurts. In our defense, when we find out we're wrong, we go back and try do, and correct.
1: We do. The the listener gets to learn right along with us.
0: Yeah. Unfortunately, that old episode is still out there. Yeah. <laughs> so you should listen in reverse order, I guess.
1: Yeah.
0: All right. I guess that'll do it for this week. I'm Jonathan Stark.
1: And I'm Kelly Shaver.
0: And we hope you join us again next week for the Niche Podcast. Bye. Bye. This is kind of embarrassing, but I think that when Cooper was real, you know, really little—well, I guess still—I mean, he's still in diapers—and uh, when we were first in that phase where he's like sleeping sporadically, and we were up all night, and I, you know, just like, yeah, I kept on getting, I got. I don't know if I got a full-blown case of conjunctivitis, but I've had it in the past and I could feel it coming on and my eyes are getting that, like, just, mm-hmm. that, like glued shut feeling. So yeah. I, I Google it and it's like, that can happen from getting fecal matter in your eye. And I'm like, oh, gross. Uh, I got Cooper <laughs> poop in my eye.
1: <laughs> I, I don't mean to insult your son, but that's just some really nice alliteration yeah. there.
0: Well, we like to rhyme. <laughs>
1: yeah.